0: everybody to Cornerstone, why don't you go ahead and stand up with us as we worship our King. We're so glad you're here this morning. We're excited that we get to give ourselves to Jesus and worship Him as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, amen. Amen
1: just resting his
2: presence together. We got one important thing we have gotta draw attention to today and there's somebody in this room that's having a 94th birthday. It wouldn't be too hard to look around and find out who it is. But whoever it is, uh, whoever this guy may be, we, we certainly wish my father a 94 Happy 94th birthday, thank you. Should we be so lucky? I just want to take a, a few minutes this morning to make you aware of some of the exciting things that have been going on in regarding, to our, in regarding our building plans. And then In the last two weeks, we've seen some very exciting and some interesting events take place. You know, Jeremiah 29.11 tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning, the hope and future that the Lord has for Cornerstone Community Church. For the past 12 years or so, uh, Cornerstone has been looking for a place for it to call home. We've looked at almost a dozen potential building sites while inhabiting gyms, conference centers, schools, and each and every step we've been blessed to have knowledgeable and godly men leading the way to decide the pros and the cons of each site. Men seeking God's leading and being obedient to his leading. Taking the time to ask the right questions, complete the due diligence, and ultimately making what's proved to be the right decisions. We're very blessed to have a church body that will support and follow these groups and the decisions they make. Everyone involved in our building committee has been faithful in attending meetings, faithful in following up assignments, faithful in giving the extra time that they really don't have. They've been totally faithful in pushing towards the goals of having a permanent facility for our church someday. Psalms 3728 says, The Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. A little over a year ago, a property uh, at 6060 Beaver Drive, which we refer to as Water Edge Marine, was brought to our attention. and After much prayer, And meetings and planning and meetings and zoning discussions and meetings site plan issues and even more meetings God saw it fit for us to purchase this property it was a process that for many reasons took much longer than it should have but all in all we were faithful to the process making sure that most of the issues taken were taken care of and as early as last week the plumbing issues that were, that were resolved that we've sought after for so long. So now we're ready to begin demolition. It's an exciting time for Cornerstone. One we've been looking forward to a long, for a long time. So we set a date, and that would have been Saturday, a couple weeks ago, May 4th, for the project to begin. And as you know, we found it necessary to cancel that date. On April 26th, a little over... A week before we're ready to start demolition, I was walking out of Olivet Church, having attended the last Tawana night for the year. My cell phone rang and I answered it. On the other end of the line was a friend, Vance Hahn, who was one of the leaders at Olivet. After some short pleasantries, he simply asked me, he says, Raleigh, do you think Cornerstone would be interested in purchasing Olivet Church? Wow. I was shocked. To say I was shocked was certainly an under, understatement, nearly floored me. But after catching my breath and, and making sure my heart was still pounding, I asked, you know, Vance, what do you have in mind? And we proceeded to have probably a 30-minute conversation over the phone. We're going to give you some of the highlights of that conversation we had. Um, you know, again, I was shocked. I said, "Vance, we have purchased property already. We're one week away from demolition. It could be too late to do anything about this." And and uh, uh, I said, "You know, Vance, we've we've talked about a merger in the past, and our our, our congregation was not for a merger." And, and he he simply said, he reassured us that they were not interested in a merger, rather looking for uh, someone to buy it and and not merge. Uh, he He gave me a little little history of what's been going on Olivet in the last couple of years, and uh like like many church, churches, Olivet's numbers have been on the de- decline, and when your numbers go on the decline, you understand that that brings some financial issues that, that uh uh their, their people were faced or were forced to face uh, head on, mainly financial. We've also had a bit of a setback recently a uh, serious situation with Sam uh their pastor. Uh, I think one morning before the services he he fell, hit his head, and and caused some pretty serious uh, uh, trauma head trauma' He's not recovered fully, and there seems to be question whether he will even be able to uh, resume his position as a pastor and Sam has been in our prayers. I know that uh, The members of Olivet and the members of Cornerstone as we discuss, as our discussion continued. Uh, have enjoyed incredible relationships because of the Awana and the gathering and the mutual respect we have for each other and uh, uh, Vance know that we were a church that, that came to their mind first when when uh, taking over the, the building Olivet has formed a committee to look at options and what to do with their building. They like Cornerstone and we are uh, We're very we're they're very similar. We're very similar churches in the fact that they have several generations that have gone to their church. We have several generations that have have, have gone here to Cornerstone, so we have a, a lot in common. They're very interested in, in wanting to have a, a vibrant and effective ministry continue out of that building. I assured Vance that we're not a cash cow. We don't have a whole lot of money. Vance noted that, that he, he assured us that uh, they were wanting only for us to assume their debt. So I agreed to ask our leadership if we're interested in setting out a time that we could sit down with the Olivet Committee to, to discuss and just to see if there was any interest in, in, if, uh, or if a sale would even be feasible. So I got on the phone and I, I called some of the available leaders and we, we met two days later after the Wednesday phone call at 6.30 in the morning on, uh, on April 28th. So uh, the story I told them about the conversation I had uh, with Vance immediately woke them out of their sleepy stupors uh, that early in the morning. They, too, were in shock, and, and, and as I laid out the events of what has happened the previous couple days, after about an hour of discussion and, and much prayer, we agreed unanimously that we wanted to sit down with the committee from all of it and just look at the possibilities that we had. It was also that, that early morning that we thought it was necessary to pwn, postpone, if you recall, the, uh, the kind of the inaugurational uh, demolition event we are having Friday night and then the demolition for Saturday. We decided we, we should postpone that. I apologize for any inconvenience that may have caused people here, but you understand uh, the need for this, the postponement of that, of that meeting now. So we did set a meeting to meet with Olivet to take place on Tuesday, May 7th. It be last Tuesday, about 7 o'clock. Our meeting with Olivet consisted of seven representatives from Cornerstone and five from Olivet. It was an incredible meeting and was conducted in a very positive, uplifting, and God-honoring manner. The Olivet attendees confirmed their desire for vibrant ministry ministry to continue in the building and with hopes it would be with us. We had about an hour and a half meeting and I'll just highlight some of the talking points that that came up in in that meeting. Uh, first of all, we're just uh, informed that the, the building is assessed uh, somewhere around $3 million, and it currently has a mortgage of $1.7 million. And again, the Olivet Committee confirmed that all they wanted was for us to assume the debt and uh, had no interest in profiting from this transaction. The church is sitting on a little over six acres, I believe, and, and with a building at a little over 19,000 square feet which is compared to the 9,000 square feet we, we are looking at at Water's Edge. Uh, committee noted this would be a turnkey, uh, turnkey deal. Um, it, it would include the contents of the building. As we know, if we get in, if we have a build-out in the building, we have uh, additional expenses of, you know, tables, chairs, furniture, sound equipment, stuff like that. Uh, but this would be included in the sale. Olivet also runs uh, a preschool out of its facility. The net to profit every year, and the current current directors and the staff are willing to continue with this. Uh, all of it has a, a lot of good things going for it. They they allow uh, a uh, that's an, an Asian nationality. They have a Korean uh, group to meet out, meet there on Sunday afternoons to to hold their their uh, church services. They also uh, opened up their facility to a, a group called Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, which is a startup church. They meet Sunday nights at at Olivet. Um, Monday nights they have a, a an AA meeting, women's group that that meets there. So they're they're very open to using their facility in many different ways. It was also mentioned that there would be several families, perhaps interested in joining us as as new members if this deal was to work out. But the opportunity would have to be taken before their board of directors and a congregational vote would be required as we would have issues here so. uh, I think this is a good summary of of what our discussion was if, you know, some of the guys that were here, if they have anything to add, they they certainly can. But um, understand all this took place in a very short amount of time. It was less than a two-week timetable. Not many of the facts were available to give you until now or until the last couple days and the main reason for not getting more information out to you sooner was really out of respect to Olivet. Not all the Olivet uh, congregation was aware of what was going on, and we didn't want them to find out uh, anything from someone other than perhaps their own their own leadership. Uh, it's been a hectic and exciting couple of weeks, and, and once, we want you guys to understand that we're just not out here chasing rabbits right now. This is an opportunity we have to look at. We we want to assure you that we are asking the right questions, that we're doing the due diligence, that, the, that we have the right men working this situation, and we're seeking God's hand in this. Our desire is to be faithful and obedient with this opportunity as we have been with all others. But if your cloud moves, you must be ready to move with it. I'm reminded of the, of a story of Abraham. and I've shared this with people, and it was shared with me by... Uh, uh, a member of this, uh, this congregation, that uh, um, when, uh, as, as Abraham was, was preparing uh, to get ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, how, how obedient and faithful he was in the preparations. Um, he did all the right things. First of all, he listened to God's calling. He packed his donkey. He cut wood for the fire. He set out and started the journey He built an altar. He tied up Isaac, ready to put him on the altar. But you guys all know the end of that story. God had different plans for him. God provided an alternative. And the fact is that the name of that place was referred to, it was remembered as, in the terms, God will provide. Is there a correlation here? Certainly, possibly. Possibly. Has God taken us up to this last minute with a property on Beaver and then provided a better a better alternative? What do you think? Is there a reason we've been delayed unreasonably throughout the whole entire Water's Edge process? God knows and we don't. God, does God want to give us this incredible building? It certainly would be nice. We told the Olivet Group that we, we would be interested in the building if we could work out the finances and if our people supported it. Most of you have been in the building, and, and you know how nice it is. You know, the fact is that we could easily spend a million dollars on our, our building at Water's Edge with the build-out and, and the contents and only have 9,000 square feet of usable space. Where 1.7 million would, would get us 19,000 square foot of finished space and all the contents. Can we afford it? It's best, at best it's a stretch. We'd need to do three things to make this thing work. We'd need the families attending Cornerstone, or we'd need more families attending Cornerstone. We we would need those who do attend to give more, and we'd need a fairly sizable capital campaign to pay down the mortgage. Is this possible? We think it is. Questions arise as to what we should do with our existing properties. We're looking into all the the options. We've had many inquiries of interested parties who want to lease and or purchase either one or both of our parcels. We'll have more information about this as as the the plan and if the plan uh, continues. But, uh, again, this is all in the early stages. So when more information uh, arrives, we, we will get it to you. But as of now, you guys know what we know. We have another meeting scheduled with Olivet on Thursday uh, of this week, the 16th. We've got a lot of work to do between now and then. Most important thing we've got to do is pray. Pray for the following things. Pray that, number one, that God will show us a very clear way that, uh, and what it, his will is for us as a church. Pray for the brothers and sisters of the Olivet as they go through this time with us. Number three, pray that God will give those involved in discussions wisdom and patience and compassion. So on behalf of uh, the elder team, we'd appreciate your prayers on this matter. Thank you.
0: No you did not. That's a long story. How was choir? It was good. Moms have it so easy. I mean, their lives are fun, simple, and, and so rewarding. Sometimes I wish instead of being the dad, I I wish I was the mom. Ah, another day of pedicures, reading my magazines, and making myself beautiful. This is the life. Mom. Mom, tell him to stop copying me. Mom, tell him to stop copying me. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Mom, do something. Mom, dare Are you serious? Are you serious? Mom, are you serious? Why did I ever ask you to help me? I should have known you couldn't fix my hair. I look like a freak. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, Mom, look at this. Look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Watch this, Mom. Come on, look at this. Watch this. Come on, look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Come on, Mom, look at me. Come on. book report due tomorrow, and I haven't read any of this. Mom, if you don't help me, I'm gonna fail school and be a loser forever. You don't expect me to read this all by myself, do you? You don't expect me to eat this, do you? Seriously, Mom, what is this? Mom, I'm not gonna eat this. Dad, can we just go out to eat, please? Hey kids, be nice to your mother. I eat this. I'm going to throw up. Mom, I said I'm going to throw up. No! (laughs) Mom, I think I'm going to be sick too. You're amazing. No, seriously. I don't know how you do it. I'm at a loss for words. Kids, come here, get in here, hug your mother. Tell her you love her. We're in the presence of greatness. Dad. Not now, Dad's on a roll. This is God's greatest creation, kids. You're smushing my face. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, because I don't say thank you enough. I mean, the truth is, I don't deserve you, we don't deserve you. And one day is, is not enough to honor you. We we should honor you every day. But how do we say thank you to the woman that means the world to us? I know, we're gonna go right now and get you that vacuum cleaner you've had your eye on. <laughs> Nothing. This time, we're going name-brand, baby. Come on, kids. Let's go make your mom's dreams come true.
1: All right, happy Mother's Day. I want to give the hand, all the mothers a hand here. I, um, My own mom came this morning, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you. She uh, she was paid a, a great compliment this week, and somebody who works with our company was talking to my wife and said, "I'm just I'm amazed you you could turn out so well. You must have a great mom." So they work with my dad. <coughs> so <laughs> so a, a high compliment, obviously to my mom. But so we're we're glad you guys are here this morning. We're obviously we're thankful for our moms and what they they mean for us. Um, we're thankful for our wives. And all that they do for us, you know. I, watching that, and my own kids, my son, who's three, has been mimicking everything my daughter, so they've been playing that game, repeating everything that she says, so I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Uh, we, we are here to not only celebrate our moms, but we've been going through the book of John, so if you have your Bibles, turn, turn to the book of John, and this isn't a Mother's Day message really at all, uh, but we are thankful for our moms, and we want to celebrate our moms today, and, and was reading this morning in First Samuel, and I was thinking about the story of Hannah, and Hannah, who, who had prayed and uh, was in, unable to have a child, but prayed that God would give her a son, and God does, and God delivers, and, and Hannah makes this statement. It says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. I love that. Here, Hannah, given the gift of a child, give, given the gift of a son, and she prayed for him, and then she asks and, and offers him to God that his whole life would be given over to, to God. God. Is there a greater thing we could do for our kids than to pray that her whole life would be given over to God? I want to pray that for my own children. I want to pray that for my daughter and my son, and my wife wants to pray that same thing. May we be those type of parents that are praying that our kids, their whole life would be given over to the Lord. So. We thank you, moms. We thank you for for who you are and kind of what you've done um, for us. So transitioning now, we want to go over to John chapter 5, and we want to thank Raleigh for that. That was awesome. Thank you, Raleigh, for sharing that great news and uh, something for us to be praying for. You know, to think that these guys don't know what they're doing. You know, Nick puts that song up there as the offering's going around says, Empty Me, right, as we're passing the offering. That's great. He should have done it after Raleigh gave that message, but... So hopefully we are. God is working in our in our hearts uh, to be involved in this. Pray for this, and obviously we want to be giving for this as well. So, John chapter five. John chapter five. Going through the book of John, we're going to continue this morning. And as I as I read this, you know, at first you kind of read it and you're like, okay, God, here's a story of someone being healed. Jesus reaching out to someone in need. That's a great theme of the gospels, and we see this again that Jesus reaches out to someone who was in need, someone who was hurting, someone who had pain, and God works. And Jesus performs this awesome miracle. And you read it, and you read through many of the miracles. And this week as I was studying and, and preparing for this, I, I read through a lot of the miracles. Jesus healing people. And in, through these, you would often see all kinds of different responses. Sometimes you would see people come to Jesus looking for healing. Sometimes you would see Jesus reaching out to people and healing them. And sometimes you would see people once being healed, praising God, following Jesus, telling others about Jesus, but ultimately praising God. Sometimes, in the story of the ten lepers, right, the story of the ten lepers, you would see only one of the ten return to Jesus. Jesus heals them. Jesus performs this miracle and only one returns. And often think about what God does in our life and how God works and how God performs miracles and how God heals. And yet, oftentimes, we're like the other nine, aren't we? And we know that every good and perfect thing, the Bible tells us that, every good and perfect thing comes from him. And oftentimes, we don't give him the praise. We don't give him the adoration that he deserves. So I read this story, and it's a cool story, looking at Jesus. Here's a guy. He comes. A guy's in need. He heals. Awesome story. But as I read it and I studied it, I became frustrated with this guy. This guy just annoyed me, right? He got under my skin a little bit. And I'm, admittedly, I, I don't have the gift of mercy, okay? It's not one of my finer attributes. You can ask my wife about that. But I, I don't have the gift of mercy. But here is a guy who's obviously hurting. He's obviously in pain. And Jesus, full of grace, full of mercy, comes to him. But I, I was annoyed by him, and, and you'll kind of see that as the story goes on here a little bit. Justin, I don't know if we can throw that first slide up there. I, I'm not connected anymore. So we've been reading. Here's what it says in John chapter 5. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Okay, so we've been going through the book of John. We kind of see some of the things going on. We started out, remember the, when Jesus turned the water into wine? It was his first miracle up in Cana. All right, and so here's where he was, that first miracle, up in the region of Galilee, and Jesus' uh, ministry kind of beginning there, him doing a work, and then he came back down to Judea, and got again, Jesus' ministry continuing down there, doing a work, and then we read about the woman at the well, right, that he went through Samaria, kind of hated by the Jews, so he's up in Samaria, he's, he's uh, speaking to the woman at the well, we're told that many believed and followed Jesus, because they, they met him, because of her testimony as well. Then his ministry continues. He's back up uh, into Galilee. And Al, uh, Alan shared with us last week the story. And then he comes back down here. And, and I don't know the time that's a, um, elapsed, but we are now back down in Judea where this story is taking place. So you can kind of see the, the, the kind of the flow of his ministry a little bit. So he's da- back down in Jerusalem. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast Of the Jews. So now he's down in Jerusalem. There's some feast going on. We're not completely sure. We're not told what this feast is. It could be the Passover. Uh, During Jesus' ministry, which lasted about three years, there were three Passovers during that time. This could be one. It could be something else. So we're not really told that. But this is where he's at. He's in Jerusalem during this feast of the Jews. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called. uh, Bethesda. I got it. I got it. Bethesda. Thank you. I got to say it to myself several times. Bethesda. So we come now to Bethesda. We're in Jerusalem. Can you throw that next map up there, Justin? If you remember when we went through the book of Nehemiah, you guys remember that? This past summer went through Nehemiah. Thank you. Mark remembers it. Mark, Mark's the type of guy he remembers every message. He probably remembers I threw this exact map up here. Okay, so when we went through Nehemiah, we showed you the map of Jerusalem, and work was being done in Jerusalem. And there were certain places that were mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. One of them was the Sheep Gate. All right, so this is where it's taking place. And you'll read here in verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic means Bethesda. So here it is, up in the Sheep Gate. So this is kind of the area in Jerusalem, near the tool, uh, Pool of Bethesda. Now the next slide, Justin. So this is the map of Jerusalem during Jesus' day. Up near the Sheep Gate, you see, you see that Pool of Bethesda. Okay, so that's where we're at. That's the region that's taking place. Now what's, what could be significant about this is in uh, the early 1900s, they did an archaeological dig, and they found remains which would have been this pool that was described in John chapter 5, which is cool to think about because there were several hundred years when people would take this story and they said, well, it might be just, you know, maybe Jesus telling another story, almost like one of his parables. But then we see this is a story that took place and this pool of Bethesda up near the Sheep Gate and they found remains, okay? So this is where it's at in the city of Jerusalem, in the region of Judea. This is where we're at. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda. And what that meant was house of mercy, house of mercy. So here's what took place at that pool of Bethesda. And it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. And what that typically meant, what that told us is that, okay, we've got this pool, we've got this area where people were hanging out. In this, there was these five kind of covered areas. Remember, this is the Middle East. It's very hot, okay? It's hot there. And so these were kind of offer shade and cover, this is where they could kind of go into for that shade and that cover. Alright, so this is where we're at. It says, uh, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So we're at this pool, and the people and the crowd that are gathered around are the paralyzed, lame, and the blind. Alright, so you kind of get this picture of what's going on, this large pool, kind of covered with shade and all these blind, paralyzed, and lame people are there. And so you can kind of imagine the scene if you have all these type of people that are in this area. You know, if they're paralyzed and they're blind and they're lame, it's probably hard to move around, It's probably hard to go and clean yourself, it's probably hard to go to the bathroom. And so you can kind of imagine, get a sense of maybe some of the smell, some of the look that this place has. But this is where the people came. The, the, the lame, the blind, and the paralyzed had come, and they gathered. Now, in your Bible, you may not have a verse 4. My Bible does not have a verse 4. My study Bible does not have a verse 4. My Bible on my phone does not have a verse 4. But verse 4 tells us a little bit about why they are there. Now, this, this verse is out and not in your Bible because it is not in the original manuscripts. So the earliest manuscripts we have of John, this verse is not in there. Okay, so it is often omitted out of the Bible or out of your scripture because it's not in the earliest manuscripts. Now, understand also that verses and chapters, those things came along probably less than 200 years ago, so it's somewhat of a recent thing to have the verses and the chapters for us. Okay, but this is left out. Now, we'll see it later on that somebody came along and said, all right, this verse is needed. We need this verse to help tell the story. Here's what it says, verse 4, "...and they waited..." for the moving of the waters from time to time an angel of the lord would come down and stir up the waters the first one into the pool after such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had so now it kind of makes sense this is why these crowds of paralyzed and lame and blind people are there because the spirit of god would come and they would stir up the waters and the first one into the pool, would be healed. All right, well, that's why these lame, paralyzed, blind people are there. And you can imagine the scene, right? We've already kind of described it. Imagine the first one in. If all of a sudden the, the water starts stirring, you're going to have an issue on the hand. First one's in, healed. Well, then you've got all these paralyzed, blind, and lame people flooding into the pool. Hopefully there's a lifeguard on duty. Okay, so this is kind of our scene that we have. So now Jesus has come here. He's come to this... Cool, Bethesda, he's come to meet these lame, blind, and paralyzed people. And at verse 5, we get our first picture of this guy. One was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. This man had been paralyzed for 38 years. That's a long time, isn't it? I'm 35 years old, and to imagine a life-filled a lifelong being paralyzed, that's an awful long time. Now understand during this time, people didn't live to be ninety-four, right? Happy birthday, grandpa. People didn't live to be that old. You know, a lifespan may not be much more much longer than 38 years. So much of his life, he's been paralyzed. He's been lame. This is the life that he knows. Okay, so 38 years he's been in this condition. Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time and he asked him the question do you want to get well do you want to get well that seemed like an odd question this man's been paralyzed for 38 years he's in a place where people come to get healed he's at a pool where if you get in there when the water's stirred he's going to be healed he's there he's there He's there to get healed. And yet Jesus asking the question, do you want to be healed? It's an odd question, an odd question. But as we get to learn and see this guy a little more, we understand why Jesus is asking him this question. See, not everyone who needs to be healed comes to a place like that to be healed. When we think about church the same way. The church is to be a place where people can be made whole, can be made right, can be healed. Yet when we check our heart and our motivation, we ask ourselves the question is, do we want to be healed? Do we want to be made whole? Oftentimes, people in this position, right, he's been in need of help for 38 years. Probably the rich have come and given him money. People have come and given him food. People have come and taken care of him. And Now he's kind of developed this, this lifestyle. Does he really want To be healed. I sold a house this week to a a lady who's a nurse, and she, uh, in the course of the discussion, I'm talking to her and she's telling me about kind of her job, and her job is kind of in pain management, okay? Pain management. Now, I didn't think about it until later. It's kind of funny because she's a nurse that helps with pain. Her last name is Pain as well. I don't know if I want a nurse whose last name is Pain helping manage my pain, but nonetheless. So she works in pain management. I used to work with cancer patients. Now I work with all different types, and and there are three types of people that come in to seek help with their pain. There are those that are truly suffering. There are those that are truly hurting and need assistance. They need help with their pain. They need the kind of of healing and help that we can offer. So there's also the type that come in here that think they're in pain, right? They come in because they want to commiserate. They want to tell me their sad story. They want to tell me about all... I'm hurting, you know, this is going on. She goes, I just want to wheel them down the, the hall and show them this guy or that guy. You want no pain, there's pain. Then there's those that come in and they're needing a fix. They're an addict. They're coming in looking for, for drugs or looking for whatever they can to get a high to get a fix. She says, we got all types coming in here. And you think about that with this kind of story. You think about that with, the, with people who need healing. There are those that really need healing. There are those that really want to be healed, that want to be made right. But there are also those that want to commiserate. There are those that want to share, oh, you got to hear this story. You know the type, right? Every time you run into them, there's another sad story that they're sharing with you. This, I'm dealing with that. Oh, there's this and all these things going on. And there's, you know, the addicts that they, they come to just get a fix. They come to get a fix. And so this story is challenging as I look at it because I I don't suffer a whole lot of pain, right? But it's easy for me to complain about things going on. It's easy for me to, to, oh, this is going on or that's going on. But what God wants, what we see in this story is that Jesus truly, he wants people who want to be healed. Here is a man, and and we're going to read on a little bit about him, but he's in this situation probably because of something he's done. The scripture, I think, kind of hints at that, and we'll get into that more as we go on. But we want to ask ourselves the question, as we're involved in a church, as we are here this morning, is that why are we here? Why are we involved in church? Are we the people that have come to experience the kind of healing that Jesus offers us, the new life that Jesus offers, that full, abundant, exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine, that type of life? So it's easy to come here this morning because, you know what, I got friends here. You know what, I, I need my fix for the week. You know, I come here just to kind of hang out, see what's going on. Or do we come here to experience the living God? We come here to experience what Jesus can offer us. Be challenged that, that we come together and we, we, we seek Jesus so he can make us right so he can make us new, that he can do things in our life and and help us to further the kingdom of God. This is what God desires for our life. This is what God wants for us. And oftentimes we just come, we do our thing, and we move on. So we need to ask ourselves the question as Jesus asked this man, this paralyzed man, do we want to be healed? It's easy, I can kind of keep wallowing and doing my thing, but when Jesus encounters me, when Jesus comes after me, The question for me is, do I want to be healed? This is the question he's asking this man. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Why am I trying to get in? Someone else goes in ahead of me. Jesus asks you a simple question. Do you want to get well? What's he do? He starts complaining. He starts complaining. Jesus has asked him, do you want to get well? Well, sir, here's my problem. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, All these things are going wrong in my life. All Jesus wants to do is heal him, and all he does is, oh, here's my problem. I got no friends. I've been sitting here for 38 years, and so on and so forth, right? You just want to throw that guy in the pool. (laughs) I'll help you out, buddy. Okay. He just starts complaining. Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Jesus responds to him. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I wouldn't have this kind of mercy, this kind of grace for a guy like this, but Jesus does. He simply tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 38 years this guy is paralyzed. Jesus comes along, fully God, and displays his power, displays a miracle. And this man is healed. And we see in verse 9, it says this, At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And God displays his power. Jesus displays that he is God. This man, 38 years, is healed. Continues on in verse 9, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Jesus has healed somebody on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I love this. A guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. They see him walking with his mat. What's their first response? You can't walk with the mat. What are you doing? You can't do that. That's against the law. No, I think I would see something like that and be pretty amazed that a guy who's paralyzed for 38 years had been healed. But here's the religious type, right? The Pharisees, the religious type come along and say, you cannot do that. You know what's funny about this is there's no law that says you can't carry your mat. You go back and you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. There's not a law that says you can't carry your mat. See, here's the problem for both the religious types in Jesus' time and the religious types in our time is oftentimes we wanna take our principles and our methods and impose them on people. And that's what these guys are doing, right? There are principles in, in, in Scripture that we must follow, right? We know that the principles in the Bible tell us we need to be praying. We need to be reading the Word. We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We need to love our neighbor as ourself because it's Mother's Day. We need to honor our father and mother, right? These are principles found in Scripture. They're things that we need to be doing. But there's also methods, way in which we follow God, the way in which we pursue Jesus. And our methods don't always look the same as other people's methods. And it's important that we don't take our principles and the methods and the way in which we do them and enforce them on other people. See, that's what these Pharisees are doing. That's what these religious types are doing. There's no law that says you can't carry your mat. What they're saying is you can't work on the Sabbath, and this guy's working, he's picking up a piece of furniture, and he's moving it. See how they've taken a principle, turned it into a method, and now they're imposing it as this is how you need to do it. This is the way in which you need to do it. And so we also need to be careful, right? See, there are liberal types that they take principles and methods and throw them both out. Then there are legalistic types that take principles and methods both and enforce them on people. We, as, as people who follow Jesus, as pursue his kingdom, need to take the principles, live the principles out, and the methods don't always look the same. We know that, being at a church that has many generations. The methods aren't always the same, but the principles are, aren't they? That's what I love about Cornerstone, is our di- diversity and how we do things. And that's why I love about Having all kinds of generations, I want to be careful not to say older generations as to not offend anybody in the room that may or may not be in their 90s or anything like that. But that's what I love about an older generation that could come along and challenge us and encourage us. Okay, These are the principles we need to live out. Our methods may not always be the same, but we know this is what we're supposed to be doing, to love the Lord our God, to be praying to him, asking God to move, to be sharing Others, about who he is and what he's done. To love our neighbor, to love our spouse, to honor our father and our mother. And so our principles and our methods, the principles are something we live out, but the methods may be different from time to time. And So here's what's going on is that the Sabbath has come up. These religious types are coming. They're saying, you can't do that. 38 years. They don't care about that. They just care he's carrying his mat. It is a Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Now we get another picture of this guy that I'm not all that in love with. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Don't blame me, blame that guy, right? Don't blame me, I'm healed. Don't blame me, I'm carrying my mat. Blame him, whoever he is. Isn't this amazing? And we're going to learn a little bit that what's going on, but this guy doesn't even know who's healed him, and he's going to blame him. 38 years, finally been healed, and now he's blaming the guy who healed him. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. So many times we don't give the praise due to God for what he's done, for him working, for him moving. See, every good and perfect thing comes from him. If something goes wrong, it's, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. So replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow you talk about? The man who has healed me had no the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And we know Jesus, as he'd done before, has slipped away to avoid, right, the Pharisees and the teachers. They're going to come after him. They want to kill him, they want to stone him, they want to do all these things. So Jesus has slipped away. But tell me, how does this guy 38 years, 38 years he's paralyzed, laying there. Here comes a man, heals him. He doesn't even know who he is. He lets him get away somehow. Can you imagine that? I don't know what I, how would I respond, but if I've been paralyzed for 38 years and somebody comes and heals me, I'm going to find out who that is. That guy's not going to get out of my sight. This guy doesn't seem to care, right? I think he was kind of enjoying the life that he was living. He was enjoying commiserating with other people. Let me tell you, I've been trying to get into that pool. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. Now, I want to have listen. I want to have mercy for this guy, but I, I see guys like you, you. remember the story in Luke where this guy has been paralyzed? His friends. He had friends that brought him to Jesus, and his friends did everything they could. They end up going on top of the roof and dropping the guy down so Jesus would heal him. All right, this guy who apparently has no friends. That's not a something to do with the condition he's in physically. But it's this condition of his soul, I think, is why there's nobody else around. So, Jesus slips away. This guy has no idea who's healed him. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Aha, now I get it. Now I get it. This guy's condition was because of the condition of his soul. Stop sinning. That implies that he was or something worse is going to happen. It implies that probably his sin is a result of the condition he's in or his condition is a result of his sin. Stop sinning so something worse won't happen. Now, we want to be careful See, I've got people in my life that will tell me anytime something goes wrong, it's because you're doing something wrong in your life, right? We know that type of, type of person. And we can look to stories like Job, where, where Job was a righteous man, living a righteous life, and things were happening, things were going wrong. Not because of sin in his life, it's just because that's how it was. But there's also instances in Scripture like this where it's apparent. Because of sin, something is happening. Something physically is happening to this guy. There's stories like in John chapter 9 where there's a blind man that needs healed. And he says, it's not because of this man's sin and not because of his parents' sin. It's just because it is, right? So my power can be displayed. But in this instance, this guy's in the condition he is in because of sin. And Jesus tells him, stop sinning. Change your ways so something worse won't happen. And so we want to be challenged because we know that sometimes... Things that we do can result in physical things. You think of people with addictions, drug and alcohol addictions, right? Can have physical issues, can end up in prison. They want a layman. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? It's a result of what they're doing, right? It's a result of the sin in their life. We see the same things. You know, sin in our life can result in physical, can result in emotional, We pray and we ask, God, we want you to change. We want you to change something in our life. But see, what we don't get is that we oftentimes are praying for God to change things, but not praying that God would change us. That's what God desires, is to change us. So many times we want God to change the circumstances that are going on in our life, but we don't want to change. See, that's where it needs to begin. That's what Jesus is concerned about. That's what Jesus is concerned about with this guy. He's not concerned so much with our circumstances as he's concerned with our soul and our heart. We need to ask ourselves the question, are we that type? We want our circumstances to change, but we don't want to change. So we need to be people who ask God, God, you know what, more than anything, I want you to change me. I want you to do a work in my life. I want you to to move exceedingly abundant in me. And and sometimes that can be tough. It can be hard when God really begins to change us, when we really begin to start coming to church and being involved in church so God will heal and God will make us right and make us new. Not just they'll change our circumstances, but they'll actually change us. That's what he desires. That's what he wanted for this man. This guy who'd been sitting there for 38 years, paralyzed. So be challenged this morning as we come here, not that God would just change our circumstances, but he can change, that he changed the condition of our heart. The band is going to come back up, and we're going to have an opportunity to remember Jesus, to think about Jesus. But be challenged this morning, not just to hear a story of, of Jesus healing and leave, but, but ask yourself the question, How can Jesus change my life? What can Jesus do in my life? As we take the bread and the juice, examine where you are, examine your life, examine your heart, and ask him, what is it that needs to change? What is it, in what area do I need to be healed? Do I need to be made right, to be made new? Let's pray. Yeah, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for, God, even what you're doing with a building But more importantly than that, God, we pray, we ask that what you do in our heart, in our soul, is so much more important. And God, as we sit here this morning, may we be people that come together and meet together because we want to be healed, we want to be changed, we want to be made new. And God, if we are here this morning, and we've never never made that decision to follow you, never made that decision to be made whole, God, we could. We could experience that this morning. God, for us that that, that know you and want to pursue you, yet we're here and we want circumstances to change, but we know, we know that you need to heal us. We know that there's things in our life that we need to to be made right. We need to be made whole for you. God, whether that's sin, whether that's our stubbornness, our pride, whatever it is, God, this morning we ask that you would begin to do a work in us. That that you, asking that question, do you want to be made well? God, that we wouldn't be stuck in our old ways, but we would want to be that new creation that you've intended us to be. So this morning, we thank you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you we can be made right in your eyes because of him. As we take the bread and the juice, we want to remember this great thing that you've done for us in Jesus' death and resurrection.